Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Renee Gauthier is a stand-up comedian, writer, and producer based in Los Angeles, who came out of her hometown Chicago comedy scene in the 2000s. Her first big break came when NBC cast her to play Victoria Beckham's personal assistant in the reality series turned special, 2007's Victoria Beckham Coming to America. Gauthier has performed stand-up on Last Call with Carson Daly, as well as stand-up in Stilettos, competed on Last Comic Standing, and worked the panel on Chelsea Lately. As a writer-producer, she's worked on Ridiculousness, RuPaul's Drag Race, Funny Dance Show, Lip Sync Battle, and The Masked Singer. And she wrote the presenter banter for the 2024 Golden Globes. She also recently released her first full-length stand-up special, High Blood Italian, in 2023 via 4x3. Renee sat down with me over Zoom to talk about her early experiences with the show business industry, getting to have a hand in iconic performances, such as Tom Holland's choreographed lip sync to Singing in the Rain and Umbrella, and what it looked and felt like behind the scenes during the 2024 Golden Globes. There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it! Last things first. Yes. I I know you've worked on the show Ridiculousness. Yes, like years ago. What was more ridiculous, working on Ridiculousness or watching the 2024 Golden Globes unfold on live television? (laughs) Well, I uh, Ridiculousness, because I didn't actually watch. I was... I was with all the celebrities in the back making sure they were ready for the presenter moments. So like I didn't see it in live. I mean, I watched it later, like the next day, just to see what I missed, obviously mm-hmm. what I missed because <laughs> people were texting me angry texts. Like, like he had said my name on, on like in the mic and was like, Renee Gauthier wrote these jokes and she sucks kind of energy. And I was like, what's happening? Like, yeah, so I didn't really, uh, I didn't get to see it all happen in real time. He looked like he was doing good on the silent monitor. And I know for a fact that you might not have completely known because one of the photos you shared is of Orlando Bloom having to put in a, a headpiece so Orlando Bloom could watch what Joe Coy was saying during the monologue. Yeah, and he was actually laughing. We were trying to put the sound up, but because prompter and everybody's like getting ready for their moment mm-hmm. like to go on stage and do the categories they usually keep them off because there's like a delay so it can be a little annoying and disruptive right. we eventually got one on with sound but orlando was like he goes back there and he goes oh yeah i, I want to hear his i want to hear the mo- i want to hear the beginning of the show and i could hear him perfectly in my ear and i go here just use mine and he like took my whole pack and was just staring at that monitor like enjoying himself and Mm -hmm. so you know for people who don't know you usually wear something called the pl on set and you have several if you don't have the volume down and all of it you have you can hear everybody talking to each other like the director calling shots a producer asking you for like you can hear the program so i like realized that all my things were up so i actually stole it back from him turned everything down but the program because i was like god forbid something gets said on this PL while Orlando Bloom is listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, nothing right. wrong, but my luck would be someone going rogue on a PL. So, right. yeah, he loved it. He looked like he was loving it. I guess knowing that you wrote for the presenters, 
did you ever try to get Kevin Costner to memorize the whole monologue? Or did he offer to memorize the whole monologue? So the Kevin Costner America Ferreira bit was my pride and joy. It was my mm-hmm. baby because I was, it was just another girl and I in the writer's room for the entire show. So all the bumpers, everything you saw that was not Joe Coy, we wrote. So we were trying to think of what would be good. And honestly, I was just like, it would be amazing if he did the Barbie monologue. <laughs> and originally the pitch was for him to do like two nice chunks. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not realistic uh, <laughs> just because, and he did memorize the part he did. He did okay. know, he did do that. Kevin, I worked very closely with Kevin Gosser and I love him. I thought he was <laughs> kind and he was sweet and he was honest about what he was worried about. And America Ferreira is like, she doesn't know this, but she's my new best friend. I pulled her Spanx down. I mean, we really had, a, we really, we were close. <laughs> did you share yeah. the same uh, pair of jeans? I wish. I mean, I'm sure they would have fit. <laughs> Although she's way thinner than me. I did pitch the whole monologue. And when we first pitched the idea, everyone was kind of like, I don't think Kevin Costner is going to want to do Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think he will. <laughs> I was like, focus. And the minute we pitched it to him, he liked the idea. He liked the idea of like, you know, because it's you get in this, it's in the zeitgeist. It's this mm-hmm. pop culture phenomenon. Barbie on its all. Like, I can't believe how little Barbie won um, in the show. I assumed you watched the whole thing. Oh, yeah, show. yeah. No, I watched the whole thing. You know what? A lot of people just clipped. Um, so I, I'm a professional journalist. I, yes, you are. I know. I know. I know. Look, we go I, back to, we go back to new faces. You know, we do. You wrote very nice things about me at New Faces 2009. Well, only because you deserve them. Thank you. And that was a wild class, too. Although I didn't know at the time that you may have been a new face for Montreal, but you weren't a new face in Hollywood because you had already uh, had your own ugly Betty moment with Victoria Beckham. Yes, I did. And that's what I was called like by the staff, like the crew. Cause mm-hmm. I, yeah, for the Victoria Beckham documentary, when they're, when the Beckham documentary came out, I had so me- many people send me clips of me on the Victoria Beckham, like coming to America thing on NBC, because right. a lot of people were posting like, this is the real documentary. And it was like her telling me I'm fat basically, which she never really thought. But yeah, I, uh, it's so funny. Cause I went to my first shoot day. I went dressed like me. And they're like, ooh, we need you as like, we need you to be like, I go, oh my God, am I ugly Betty? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. I go, it's fine. I just need to know because then I'll do it. Accor- I'll look accordingly. Right. But um, So yeah, I forgot about that. And I was standing right next to her. Although to be fair to you and the show, yeah. it does open with a graphic that says that it's a documentary, but then it, it it clearly states her assistant is being portrayed by an actress. Does it say that? It does. So it's, they, they, they like very upfront about it. Like this is not a, the personal assistant is not real. No, I didn't know that did that. And wow, they called me an actress. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. Cause it was such a bad performance. Um, <laughs> Cause I was really being me <laughs> afraid of Victoria Beckham. Like, you know, when you're, when you just get like a big thing, my biggest fear always was like, oh, they're going to fire me. Like, I'm going to get there and they're like, we actually don't need you. And that's 
how I felt every day, even though no one gave me any inkling that that would happen. I just, you know, was nervous. Right. So. But but in 2024, to be working alongside people like Kevin Costner and Orlando Bloom or standing next to Oprah, oh uh, you know, you have to be so... Uh, not starstruck, but just immune to it a little bit because it's been 17 years since your first gig was working alongside Victoria and David Beckham. Yeah. And then, then I didn't even, I was more nervous about being on TV than I was about her famousness. Like I, in LA, when I got here, I, I worked at a place called Houston's, which had so Oh yeah, it's a trick 10, 10 restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, um, there were so many celebrities there Mm -hmm. and they came there because paparazzi wasn't allowed. And it was in a mall where paparazzi wasn't allowed. So it was a safe space for celebrities. My first person I waited on was Jodie Foster. And I saw her (laughs) on Sunday. Oh, right. Cause she was, yeah, she was, yeah. Could you imagine if I was like ribs, coleslaw, fries? Like what a psychopath. That was Um, my order. I always ordered the ribs. Was it? Yeah. That was was Jody's. Unless she doesn't eat meat. I mean, at least in the mid 2000s, they had, that was. It's great. The the food at Houston's is incredible. It's like, I call it middle, middle fancy. Well, if the celebs are going there, it's definitely not. Yeah. It's it's an alternative to like the post awards in and out. Yes. Yes, it is. did you go to in and out post awards? No, I didn't. I went straight home. Oh. I was so tired. Like I spent um on and off about four months in Chicago just because of the strikes and everything. And I so I worked remotely like starting beginning of December for the Golden Globes. And then I literally landed in LA, dropped my stuff and my dog on the second, and then never saw me again. I was at the Beverly Wilshire for the rest of the week. So I was exhausted. <laughs> and when it was over, I was like, I mean, I made Oprah giggle. I'm just, I gotta go to bed. You know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't go to in and out. It was impossible. It's impossible to get in and out of <laughs> Beverly Wilshire mm-hmm. for the like three days leading up and night. So we all spent the night at Beverly Wilshire. Okay. Yeah. So I, I couldn't go anywhere. Okay, but like I said, we met back in 2009 in Montreal at when you were one of the new faces. And that was like a, a a weird crop of new faces. But knowing that you had already been on this NBC reality special. Yeah. Does that mean that you came into new faces with different expectations? Or what were your expectations at the time? Uh, nothing. I, you know, it's so funny because... I don't, I think I'm weird. I think I'm weird when it comes to like, I am. Cause I would have never, you would have never heard me go, Oh, I I'm not a new face. Cause I was on a reality <laughs> documentary show, even though it was on a primetime network, it was right. supposed to be a full episodic for the summer. And then it got crunched to one and a half hour Okay, uh, special. And so I, I don't know. I felt like maybe I didn't belong. Like I had a lot of guy comics at the time say that, that, that I went because they needed a girl. But um, enough about Crystalia. Crystal 
Aaliyah, I met when I first moved here, and he was so complimentary and cool. And well, you I were young. Him. You were young. I was a baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how he likes them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, mm, like he just had good sauce on ribs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but I did go with Chris. Mm-hmm. Chris was on my, as you know. Yeah. What was cool for me is there were like a lot of Chicago people there and I, we are such a tight knit and I was dating Mike Bridenstine at the time. So that was a real tricky thing just because, and and myself to blame. There was a moment that week that we were there that they had picked like the favorite of new faces. Oh, right. Yeah. Remember this? And we were like, there wasn't one woman on the lineup. Now, mind you, there were only three of us, new faces, three mm-hmm. girls. It was Mary Mack, a girl from Ireland, which I feel so guilty. I don't remember her name. And me. And they picked the usual suspects. And I was like, super annoyed. <laughs> I was like, you're ruining this for me. I was like, yeah, I know. But sorry, I'm, a, I'm clearly a baby. Like, I'm clearly, like, not evolved enough to be okay with this. <laughs> Eleanor Tiernan. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, she was great, though. Yeah, but that, but that had like a Kumail Nanjiani, Pete Holmes, Kumail, Pete Holmes, um, Mike Kaplan, Moshe Kasher, Duncan Trussell, Brido, me. Who else? Who else was on there? I mean, there was oh Rory Scoville. It was a great line. I mean, we had a great crew. Yeah. Uh, oh, Andy. Andy Ritchie passed away. Yeah. My God, he was. The nicest, Danny was so funny. Um, there was someone else, Eric. Eric Krug. Thank you. Oh my God, I didn't do too bad. I'm sure I'm missing the Irish guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, Dana Doot. Oh, Dana Doot. Yeah, I love Dana. Yeah. I mean, when I tell you everybody, including Dana Doot, was like, that's fucked up that he said that about the right person. I was like, he picked them and they're good. He picked really <laughs> good writers. So. Well, I mean, it's it's funnier to me to see co- the comedians on social media who were saying that he didn't bomb. Because clearly, you don't throw the writers under the bus if you think you're doing great. Well, let's put it into perspective. Okay. First of all, he's a true touring comic, right? He's oh, a yeah. guy who goes to a place where they're coming to see him. It's easy to get them laughing. He can literally do whatever he wants. For someone in the beginning, he was doing well. He was not doing bad. I don't think that Taylor Swift joke was bad. I don't know, like offensive. I don't know why she reacted that way. I think at this point, it's just who she needs to be. Like she need, like just get, it's fine. It was right. not offensive. Sorry, Taylor. I don't give a shit. It was not offensive. And he was doing well when he realized when he wasn't getting what he's used to getting, he flipped and he couldn't emotionally deal with it that's what i saw and we've all been there it's like doing a big corporate party and you're like no one knows who you are no one knows you know you have to endear yourself at the top and i think and they're drinking and eating and they're drinking well i don't know about eating the food wasn't (laughs) out that quick so right we had food in our presenter room and a lot of uh a lot of presenters returned for a snack well Um, well he didn't also he didn't really establish his bona fides up top. So people had no reason to want to hear what he had to say. 
Well, they had no reason to forgive a bad joke either, right? right. So a groaner's a groaner, right? And some we all we all make and pick we all make mistakes or we all like he's nervous. So his mm-hmm. bravado isn't the same, right? Like that's just the it. Like forget forget how much time he had to prepare. He had three very good writers that he picked that he that were suggested to him by another really great comic. So he was in great hands. I think when he got out there, you know, right. he just picked some shit that didn't land and that's well, it. Well, let's not make the same mistake with you, Renee, and let's yeah. establish your bona fides. Okay. <laughs> what are they? Because uh, we've talked enough about Joe Coy. Yeah, uh, but, but yes. Well, I just wanted to like protect him a little so bit. So you were so you were on NBC's Victoria Beckham. Coming to America, then you get new faces. Uh, you did uh, Carson Daly's uh, yeah. later show on NBC, uh, also on NBC. You did Chelsea Lately. With Joe Coy was my first one. He was on my panel my first See, it all comes full circle. By the way, he's very nice. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, he's, he is nice. And touring arenas. It's, uh, yeah, it's a different skill set than being a host. But you are also on Stand Up and Stilettos. You know it. The girl only wears stilettos. <laughs> I didn't wear did, them. Yet. I was going to say, like, did you have to wear stilettos? Or, I, I think that was just did. like a gimmicky title to tell no, you, oh, these are all women. They were like bothered that I wore like boots with heels. And they're like, no, this is, I go, no one told me I had to wear stilettos. Like, Lunell wore stilettos. She was on my night, my, my, my episode. Mm-hmm. Everyone did- else wore stilettos but me. <laughs> Somehow I imagine Lunell talking almost entirely about having to wear stilettos. She didn't. She just was like, she did a normal step. But she, I remember talking backstage about these fucking shoes. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, I didn't do that. I didn't know. You got to put that in a contract. <laughs> Not just the title. Right, right. I didn't expect it. But then at some point you pivot to a lot more behind the camera work. Was Was Ridiculousness the first gig like that so yeah was there a calculus in your head about about pursuing producing writing work or was that just a lack of opportunities in front of the camera I don't think it was either I think that well I was I was doing how I got the job is I was doing a set at the comedy store Mm -hmm. and one of the EPs who was like majorly in the room called me the next day or FaceTime, Facebooked me because she was like, I'm so sorry to do it like this. I don't know how to get in touch with you. And she was just like, we would love for you to come in the room. And so I went in, it was a trial period and I ended up staying for three seasons. And uh, that's how I got that job, which is crazy because if I look back at my life, a lot of these like in front of camera, behind camera firsts were because of something random was very Hollywood story ish. Like okay. I got the Victoria Beckham thing because I was bartending at Houston's in the day on a Sunday. And these two women were sitting at a table and I was talking to them and they were like, where are you from? What do you do? Cause I have a Chicago accent, obviously. And I was like, Oh, I do improv and I'm a stand up comic and I'm from Chicago. And they're like, Hmm, we're booking this thing. Like we're casting a thing. And I was like, okay. You know, like, here's my email. Guess I'll never hear from you again. And then mm-hmm. I want to say three weeks later, I got an email and I went in and I was up against Jen Kirkman. And then I got called and to meet Victoria 
And she said, I look like I wouldn't be a slut. And I got the job. What a compliment. Um, So like I didn't, I kind of just was open to let things happen. And when the ridiculousness thing happened, I was excited to get TV money, you know, and right. uh, which is a big jump from bartending money. If you're like working mostly days and doing stand up at night. And uh, so it was really just like ridiculousness at the time was so revered by other TV shows that were considered comedy variety or unscripted, which is not real ever. It's always scripted. But right. that they were like, oh, you did that show? I would love to bring you on this show. So I got very lucky. Friends referring me and uh, just me being good at a, as a, being a server. Like I was really good at being right. a server, training everybody. And I think it has a lot of parallels to producing. So two questions based off what you just said. Uh, One, first off, what were you actually doing at Ridiculousness? What was your job? Writing. So we were in a What does that mean on a show like that? So you basically, it's producing and writing. And what you do is you watch clips all day and you come up with puns. So Mm -hmm. all around the thing were cards with like, daddy dicks or like where it's kids punching their dad's dick right we were just making up all these puns and then we had to write we all got our own script to write for rob so it's really about curating all of these clips that go in like a flow and it's like four acts i believe unless it's Mm -hmm. different and just writing for rob and making sure and then you we all do a writing joke writing session so once we have all the clips together we shout out jokes and the writer's assistants write them all down and then in the script you pick from that bucket for each thing it's actually much harder than a writer's room like for wga right not to say that but it is because you're <laughs> curating everything and writing for it right there's a it's a probably a lot more research intensive it is. Thankfully, we had a research team. So we would get these like buckets and buckets of clips. And then eventually we'd have to watch them all blind. And then we started tossing them in things. And then eventually we were like, OK, I need someone who farts into a candle. You know, like <laughs> the things you say. And it's so professional. Right. But I mean, you couldn't you couldn't have a show like How To with John Wilson Without right. without the without the standards that you said it would being able to go, I need a shot of someone farting into a candle. And I'll tell you what, that show taught me how to Google so specifically. <laughs> right. It's actually a skill. But at the time that you got that gig, you probably didn't realize one that that show would become the the twenty four seven face of MTV eventually. I did not. No. Or two that it would become like a fast pass to other producing yeah. rating gigs on, on, on reality or variety shows. Yeah. And reality, to, like, it's so interesting because I'm hoping that there is a new, categorically, there's a new way to define what we're watching because I think a lot of people clump. Like, I wrote for Chrissy Teigen, a lip sync battle. I did all the performances. I, you know, did all the comedy content with, you know, a team and stuff to like get the ideas for lip sync battle. And I pitched them to the celebrities. That's not a reality show, but we're right. in reality. That's comedy variety and it's right. not scripted. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Your, your niche, uh, for lack of a better term has been working in these quote unquote competitive right. variety shows. Uh, right. You mentioned lip sync battle, but also, uh, fu- the funny dance show, which dance competition show on E and then the mass singer. Yes. Um, 
don't know how I got on that, but yeah. <laughs> well, I got called because it was during the pandemic or like right at the tail end of the shutdown and mm-hmm. Max Singer was going back and Nick got COVID and they brought Nisi Nash in. So I got a phone call that was like, hey, can you come write for Nisi Nash? And I was like, okay. So I went for five days. Mm-hmm. The guest host, and that's how I even got involved in Mass Singer. Okay. Yeah. But it was a lot of lip sync battle people working there. Okay. Of yeah. course, lip sync battle, the clip that's iconic and gets recirculated at any given moment, just because people want to keep recirculating the clip is, is Tom yeah. Holland. Oh, no, I wanted to guess. It's Tom Holland. <laughs> you don't need to guess. You worked on the show. I know, and you but... have and you have access to the internet. You know that it pops up all the time. I don't even need to watch it. I have the rough cut. But before that, Channing Tatum Beyonce okay. was the butt runner for Well, that yeah, but that's because Channing Tatum is Channing Tatum. Yeah, and Beyonce showed up. It was, yeah. 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 Take me back to working with Tom Holland on uh, that Rihanna. So the way it would go is I, I, during show, I would write for Chrissy Teigen mm-hmm. during the non shoot days. I was, I started season two. They started to learn that I knew a lot about music and pop culture. So my showrunner at the time was like, you're in charge of generating these ideas and working with Beth McCarthy Miller, who was the director and we want you both to be on the calls pitching these ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, because Eva Longoria wanted to do Baby Got Back. The golden rule in Lip Sync Battle is if it's a second performance with full production, you don't want to really repeat it, right? Like she could have done it as a first song, but she wanted it as a second song. It had been done in uh, episode one. So uh... I wasn't allowed in the meetings yet because I had just gotten hired. And I texted the person who hired me and said, have her do the Nicki Minaj Anaconda. It's okay. sampled, baby got back. It's the women's version for baby for butts. Sure. Anaconda. And she loved it and she did it. And I helped secretly with the, you know, eventually I, um, there was someone who was there who got fired. Uh, he wasn't very nice. He was like, didn't like any of my ideas and was kind of like, I don't know what it was, but he, he was. That's a fire. Like, that's a fireable offense in itself. I not, not liking I, Renee's ideas. It's all good. They're ridiculous. If you watch that show, I come up some, with some real dumb shit mm-hmm. um, that worked. Tom Holland and Zendaya mm-hmm. were doing a Spider-Man. It, we were connecting with MTV and we were doing a Spider-Man like pre thing. Right. You got to promote. Yeah. What we didn't know at the time, well, we did know, but we couldn't say they were dating and it was like very early on. She wanted to do Bruno Mars, which she crushed it. And then we were trying to, Tom Holland had some ideas and then we were in a room and I said, he played Billy Elliot. He knows how to dance his ass off. We need to, you know, get him to dance. Mm -hmm. And they're like, he dances. I go, oh, he dances. So that's why we did the mashup. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, singing in the rain so he could tap dance a little bit and then into um, Rihanna, umbrella, umbrella mm-hmm. which that was the first time we ever had it rain on stage and I think a couple of us did cry it was awesome <laughs> it was just so good it was so good to like see it all achieve you know and I think at first he was worried to do Rihanna I think he and Zendaya were telling each other what they might be doing and mm-hmm. I think like do you really want to dress like Rihanna? like it was a uh, was a thing but we were like no 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 it's good and it was wait so 
so one, did you, did you, uh, in the room pitch it to Tom? No. So we will just call him, but okay. sometimes it depends. It would depend on the person. Sometimes our show, uh, our executive producer would want to be the one who mm-hmm. pitches the idea, but in the room, I pitched the, like the, the idea. Okay. Yeah. So was, did Zendaya know that, that he was doing that? Cause she had such a look of shock and amazement on her face. I don't think she knew the whole thing. I think, uh, it's similar with Channing and Jenna when they mm-hmm. did theirs. They were kind of telling each other what they were going to do, even though you really shouldn't because of we want that shock factor. But I don't think she knew knew because she was like, holy shit, when he came out up from the umbrellas. Right. um, And then it actually rains on the stage. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) There was a new like a new producer who was there and he's like, are you crying? I go, you have no idea. Like, first of all, this show is hard because... It just, it's hard to please people Mm -hmm. and you're going through, you know, all these ideas and then you finally get it. And, uh, and then it's raining, which is a hard thing to do on a stage. Like he was, if you look, he's in like a tray dancing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's even, I think I remember even watching it at the time going, I can't believe they're doing this. Honest. Like this is like something you do at the, Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> and they're that's doing what, it for this like little cable show. Yeah. And that's what I think was great about Lip Sync Battle is we went very Broadway production like style when the mm-hmm. second thing came because you want to you want to wow like everybody. Right. You know, so it was cool. Did you feel like you needed to do that at the uh, MTV Movie and TV Awards? Yeah, I have to tell you, it's very hard to go from a creative position to just mm-hmm. a writer's room because while I'm WGA, I'm also producing on stuff. So you're my, it's hard to like just be a writer because I, I went in and saw Lizzo. I watched the rehearsal and Lizzo that year did a really fun sister act nod in her performance, right? Sister act two, sorry. And I'm in my head going, okay, they need to trim this down. Like they need to put something at the top or they like in my head, I'm going, this has to tweak. Cause that's what I would do. I would sit in rehearsal and watch performances and go, can we do this, 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 which I did on RuPaul too. Mm-hmm. So I was like, thankfully the Viacom, the Viacom team that worked with us was on this show. And so this woman came over and we were excited to see each other. And I go, I'm going to make a suggestion, but you didn't get it from me. She goes, yeah. I go, I think you need to start this here and then tell them to cut here because it's not connecting that it's a sister act two thing right away. Do you know what I mean? She goes, mm-hmm. oh. she's like, okay, I'll do it. Okay. It's like very hard to separate. Cause I love that part. All the dancers used to be like, you watch us like a stage mom, <laughs> like this, your idea just come out the way you think it should. I'm just like, that's what's happening. So that's my favorite thing. <laughs> Is that how you felt watching the Globes when you when you're watching the presenters do the thing that you were hoping that they would do? Yeah, like we were backstage. I think it was Issa Rae and Simu Liu were back there who mm-hmm. are amazing. And I was watching it like I go, oh my god, I don't know how I'm acting. Like my kids are on stage. I'm like, like watching Kevin Costner. I was like, Shh, I need to see how this goes. And for the record, he is uncomfortable 
in live prompter situations. So he really crushed it considering, you know, he was just like, I'm, I'm nervous. Like I'm nervous in a, in a manly way, of course. Unlike say Jared Leto, who probably didn't need any convincing to be his most Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Yeah. He's, (laughs) he was a hands-off. That's for sure. (laughs) Angela Bassett really shined. (laughs) She did. So. What about the other, the two other ones that are, that I saw or heard a lot of people talking about? Uh, one was obviously the Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig one. Which was great. Yeah. What is working with them like? What- amazing. Like amazing. Like Will, he didn't need anything. I was kind of forced to talk to him by a stage manager at mm-hmm. rehearsal. Have you talked to Will? And I was like, he looks fine. And then I went up because I don't like to be like annoying. So mm-hmm. I went up and I go, hi, Will. I'm Renee. I'm one of the writers. And he's like, hey. And they and the, the stage manager goes, are you okay, Will? You got it. You okay, Will? You feel okay? And he goes, yeah, I feel okay. And I go, hey, Will, when you don't feel okay, give me a call. I'll be right over here. And he just laughed because it was just like too much. And then Kristen right. was lovely. They were incredible. Like they were like weirdly having peers around who like you would joke around with. They were lovely. How did they land on that song? Or how did you guys land on that song? They picked the song. Okay. The bit was written. They tweaked it a lot. They kept the same intention. Mm -hmm. uh, A lot of the same lines after, like at the tail end of it. But they, Mm -hmm. you know, they did their thing. They made it their own. Yeah, they they just like, we want this song and we want these cues. And we're like, great. Right. The other one that that seemed like it might have not gone completely as scripted was the John Baptiste Oh my God. Well, so they came to the back to rip <laughs> to read the prompter mm-hmm. and they had not rehearsed together. And all of a sudden for that second part, they were like riffing. And, yeah. like, <laughs> and it was like, do that. They're like, we can't do that on TV. And their particular writer was like, do that. Okay. Do that. <laughs> and they were so great. He's, yeah. Cause I'm not sure as a writer, if you're like, going, Oh no, they're, no, they're going um, off the, off the prompter. Loved it. I, my thing I said to everyone was like, who like was iffy or mm-hmm. whatever. I was like, just don't do eight minutes. How about that? You know, big rule, don't go to eight minutes. And they just laughed. And I was like, that's my motto now. Right. Cause you can't play off a presenter. Yeah. You can, <laughs> you can try. Um, <laughs> but yeah. But like get to the nominees are soon or. Right. All screwed. Yeah. So I want to make sure I ask you about. Why then the decision to get back in front of the screen to put out your special High Blood Italian, which came out in 2023 via 4x3, which is a company I didn't really know of before last year? Yeah, they reached out to me and were like, I, we, we would love to produce, you know, a, a special for you. And I was like, I think, well, I've never like left the screen. Like I was in two movies in the last couple of years and I... I love being in front of the camera. I I love it. Uh, I'm just lucky enough for my day job to be working behind creatively, which is like really incredible for me because it's a good gig. And um, I just was like, you know what? It's been, I should have put out an hour a long time ago and I just didn't. And so I was like, well, the time is now. And I actually really wanted to do it in a setting that was like, I was comfortable in, I didn't want to do it. Like, and I'm, I could have done a theater, a small theater look and I could have done all that. And I was just like, I'm just going to do 40 minutes. And they're like, okay. And that's what it was. I, I, I love performing. Like it's, it's fun. That's why I do it. So. So what do you, 
do you feel like that's a, a calling card for you? Or do you feel like more like having this recent Golden Globes experience is more of a calling card? Or is it still ridiculousness? <laughs> ridiculousness is no longer on my resume because it was so <laughs> long ago. But I think it's both. I didn't know how cool everyone was going to think that it, me being on the Golden Globes was. Like I said, I think they're equal in different worlds, but I think I'm more known for constantly working, which is what I hear all the time. Like you're always working. Yeah, you got to get back to work. You got to go back to work. You're constantly working. Constantly working. Look <laughs> at me. I'm in work mode. Well, thank you're you for taking a shower. Thank you for taking a shower and taking some time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see your face and to talk to you. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.